0: Welcome to Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories. Today's show was produced on the lands of the UN Nation from the Beagle Valley, New South Wales, for Radio 3CR in Nah, Melbourne, and broadcast nationally through the Community Radio Network. I'm Bec Horridge.
1: It's not just a left right divide, and we need to encourage everybody who has decision making power to step across the flimsy political lines and say on this we are united behind the science and behind the need to do everything we can to make a safer future for all Australians. And and if we do it for us, we're doing it for the rest of the world as well.
0: Today on Earth Matters, we'll be joined by Joe Dodds, co-founder of Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action. She describes how her visit to COP27 in Egypt as survivor of a climate-fueled disaster helped depoliticise conversations about global heating. Joe, tell me more about
1: yourself. Yeah, so I was one of the founding members of Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action. We started just after the Tarthra fire in far south coast, New South Wales. That was in uh, March 2018, that fire. And that really impacted the the town that I'm closest to of Tarthra. I live on the outskirts just behind Tarthra in the hills, in the forest. But that fire just raged through that forest, burnt down the homes of two of my neighbours and then proceeded through the township of Tarthra and burnt down 69 homes altogether, damaged lots of others. So I, I, I completely lost count of how many people that I knew personally who'd lost their homes in that fire. And that that was enough to spur several of us and then several people who'd been impacted by other fires to think it's time that people could talk about climate change openly without being pilloried in the media for having the temerity to talk about climate change. So we we started speaking out and here we are, what are we, nearly five years later with an organisation representing people who have, have the lived experience of climate damage.
2: You're
0: just recently back from COP27 in Egypt. What was your impressions? What was your experience? Do you feel like it's worth going or is it all just organised by big wigs and you, it's not really worth it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a really good question and it's something that I, I spent a lot of time debating with myself because it's it's a lot of work to go to a COP. International travel at the moment, while there's a pandemic, is difficult and dangerous in many ways and it's you know it, it took money and energy out of the organization for me to go there so yeah i put a lot of thought into it and i decided that um given there were no other people just ordinary aussies with lived experience of climate disasters going um that i would go as a representative of the people who are suffering the most from climate damage in this country and that i wanted to work alongside the first nations people who were going and um, be be of assistance to them in amplifying their voices on this, because, of course, they've lost so much more than we have in terms of um, damage to the lands and and places that their culture rests on. So, um, yeah, I was really proud to be there with a, a big cohort of Indigenous people. And, it, you know, a COP is a very complex thing. So trying to analyse what what the outcome means and what, was achieved. You can do it on lots of different levels. There's the the overarching decisions and agreements that were made by the COP and the negotiators on an international level. That's one thing, and it was successful in that because the, this is the first time they've got loss and damage onto the COP agenda, and and it was totally the loss and damage COP. Um, so it's it's looking to address the The injustices that are suffered by people say in pakistan thirty three million people displaced by floods um you know it, it it's bad enough in Australia, but we're a resourceful country um with with you know big spaces to inhabit in Pakistan when you think of thirty three million people displaced it's inconceivable it's a population of Australia and New Zealand all trying to find somewhere else to live at the one time so the loss and damage inclusion was fantastic, and then there's the other levels of how cop works so seeing the Australian government be over there with a much much clearer message, in fact, a completely um, counter message to the previous cop in Glasgow, a positive message about action on climate, um, a realistic message about the the impacts and the predictions the science um and the most encouraging thing of all was seeing um the New South Wales Treasurer Matt Keane and Senator Pat Conroy, who's of the Labour Party, publicly acknowledging the work that each other have done in that space, choosing not to fight or throw bombs at each other, but to actually demonstrate warm respect for each other on climate. And that that is everything to people like me who just want to see the politicians get on with it and stop bickering. So I think that's a huge achievement. For Australia, and us demonstrating that at a cop is important because you know the rest of the world is watching us because we did such a bad job the year before that this was an important moment, and Australia certainly was recognized for that pivot, so that was another it 's improved our international relationships in the pacific it's you know we 've mended fences in a lot of areas as a result of this, and then there's the sort of back home facing stories about you know what can be achieved in Australia and the negotiations on renewable energy there was something like 700 and something billion dollars worth of renewable energy deals being done and that's despite the fact that yes at the cop there's 600 plus fossil fuel lobbyists which is more than the delegation of any other single country so they are the biggest single representation holy then, uh, moly yeah, it's shocking. And there's many people like me, like, you know, most most of us who were there talking about this would argue they shouldn't even be at a climate conference like a COP, but they are part of the transition. And certainly the communities that they have business in where there are jobs, they should be part of the the transition conversation. So, you know, I met with union representatives, I met with senators and and ministers and um, people doing amazing work in the community sector on renewables and on transport and on the shifts in culture that we're we're going to need to see in a transition. So I think on every level, I would say that COP was a success. And, And again, I would say it's really important to have those survivor voices there because when things do get bogged down in the politics and the toxicity of that, it's the voices of the people who are affected telling their stories that can cut through that and that's why it's so important to have us and first nations people present at a cop
0: you must have run into um, Ricky Danks who was on the last show that i produced what an amazing
1: woman <laughs> yeah ricky's just a gorgeous human being all round and she was one of the, the main reasons i decided to go was to support her and her oh. gadanji for country yeah, so we put a panel together um, and put the proposal to the Australian Pavilion staff through DFAT. And they, of course, got a lot of proposals for panels to be held in that pavilion. But we were very lucky that we were given a space for about, I think we in the end got about 45 minutes, which is considerable when there's so much call for space in the panel to do, in the, the um, pavilion to do things. So, yeah, Ricky and I and the guy from Torres Strait 8. And we had, uh, Tishika King was moderating that panel for us. She's with groundswell and is also from the Pacific Islands. So yeah, it was a great chance to work with Ricky. And yeah, she again is a really great storyteller and tells that story from the heart about what country means to her and, and her family and community. And it's pretty hard to hear that and not be, um, really touched by what, what they've gone through. And are still going through, and the fight that they've got ahead of them to protect those country, that country, and and those lands.
0: What sense do you have needs to happen next in Australia? Looking at you, I'm thinking of the teals. Um, (laughs) You know, this I could have been one too. You know, this particular age of a sort of woman who then turns to politics just through sheer necessity, really and probably got into spaces that they never imagined that they ever would have entered. What What do you think is going to happen next in Australia or needs to happen? What needs to kick up the bum and what needs a good clap and a good, yeah, look, a good think, pause, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I think the Teals, the teals have in, demonstrated that there's a huge yeah. hunger from from the right in politics, from the Conservatives, for climate action. But people felt there was nowhere to go to place those votes. And yet in the last couple of days, we've seen Simon Birmingham come out with some really positive takes on the climate problem. So I And and Matt Keane in New South Wales is, is a great example. And the environment Minister. So there's some great people on both sides of politics. What we need is to support and amplify the voices of those people on both sides. Because we've also had people on the left who've been very anti-action on climate. Joel Fitzgibbon, for one. So you know it's it's not just a left-right divide, and we need to encourage everybody who has decision-making power to step across the, the the flimsy political lines and say, "On this, we are united, behind the science and behind the need to do everything we can to make a safer future for all Australians, and, and if we do it for us, we're doing it for the rest of the world as well." And and why wouldn't we all be united on that and get behind that? So I think it's really important for people to support their chosen politicians if they're doing the right thing on climate.
0: Joe Dodds, co-founder of Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action. This is Earth Matters, bringing you news of the changing environment and the resulting hits to social justice. And another person who's been very busy this year, singer-songwriter Sophia Fletcher. She's been performing everywhere and singing out loud with some great messages. Here's Mind Games, a message for Adani from her recent album,
2: Steps Leading to You. Is a Donnie's Abbott Point coal mine frauding its way into Australia? With billions of dollars invested and selfish politicians on agenda. Now with passion, we will stop Adani's action Will they destroy farmlands with precious water supplies With free unlimited groundwater To access the great artesian basin Are they guilty of corruption? Can Adani be trusted? Join us now with passion. We will stop Adani's action. Are they guilty of corruption? Can Adani be trusted? Join us now with passion. We will stop. Johnny's action. Climate change is real. Why isn't our government listening? Renewable <laughs> energy. Join us now with passion We will stop Adani's action Are they guilty of corruption? Can Adani be trusted? Join us now with passion We will stop Adani's action Is our great Protected from further destruction. Are they guilty of corruption? Can Adani be trusted? Join us now with passion. We will stop Adani's action. Are they guilty of corruption? Can Adani? Trusted. Join us now with passion We will stop Adani's action Are they guilty of corruption? Can Adani be trusted? Join us now with passion Stop Adani's action.
0: Mind Games, written and sung by Sophia Fletcher. Let's hear again from Joe Dodds talking about the effectiveness of being a counsellor. I noticed that you were you formerly you were a councillor on the bigger Shire Council, is that right? So yes. here's the question: This is the sort of thing they ask you in when you're doing a politics degree. They say, um, at what level of government federal, state, or council can you have the most effect to conserve or preserve or have an environmental outcome? And I remember my essay came out that the council. At council level, there's a lot of local power, and that's at a level where a lot of people can engage. and And noting now that the councils have been voting to stop native forest logging, there, I think bigger was the laggard council that didn't vote that didn't vote for that. Any comments around effectiveness at a local council level
1: for people who are thinking of stepping up and becoming yeah. more active? Yep. Yeah, look, I think local government is incredibly important because. If you walk outside your property and you look around your neighborhood, most of what you see that isn't privately owned is council responsibility. The roads, the public parks, the lighting, the sewerage, the waste collection, the library, the halls for rent, um you know, bigger public spaces, the access to the beach, the access to the boat ramp, all of that is council responsibility. And I don't think people realise how much and how broadly councils work. In in this show, it's even the airport is run by the council. So, you know, they have a huge, a huge responsibility, but they don't have a lot of power always to make broad decisions about how that gets managed because state government has a lot more power to direct councils, if not directly, then by how they fund the project. But council is the is the first stop. If you want to get into politics and you're not interested in being part of a political party, particularly, then council is great because you have a really good chance of making your voice heard, of getting elected. I did it on the first run without any political allegiance and just a bit of community support. So I went from a completely cold start and got elected in that first attempt. And I think that's important because it means that councils can be really representative of communities if people step up. And on the forestry issue and Bega, it's really disappointing that the Bega Valley Shire Council made that decision because we know now that the fire that came up from Victoria and threatened the town of Eden, one of many fires coming from all directions that were threatening this shire, that fire was was intensified by the fact that that whole area had been logged previously. And we now know that logging... And the regrowth from logging and and it was pretty intense logging. It's like clear felling. They leave the odd tree standing, but it's you know, they're they're fifty meters apart. It's it's not um it doesn't provide any coverage. So what grows in between is incredibly dense and it's all the same age, and that's what's happened is fires come through that thick young forest, almost reached Eden and burned Eden. And now we've got the regrowth from that as well. So we've got even supercharged regrowth because of the fire and the ash, and now we've got an even worse fire hazard sitting to our southern boundary, in fact, anywhere that there was logged forest that was burned. Whereas at least with the mature forest, you've got some hope of having a sort of a a selection of trees of different ages and heights that as things recover, those trees suppress some of that um, lower growth. And and there's endless studies showing that this is the case and that that we could be looking at 70 years of increased fire risk after these fires.
0: I'm noticing that uh, bushfire survivors for climate action had an amazing outcome in the courts last year and won a case that means that the New South Wales Environmental Protection Agency must now ensure that we are protected from climate change impacts.
1: Yep, we um that's gonna put we, a cracker up there, bum. I hope it, it has yep, it did. Um we are about to see that policy go public. We're really happy with it as it is. We've seen it. Um we can't comment on the contents till it does go public, but we're thrilled to see that the EPA New South Wales EPA has really stepped into that space and has responded comprehensively to what needs to be um said and done with their policy. So and they're not just rolling out a policy where they say well this is the rules now everybody has to do this. They're actually also working on consulting with all of the stakeholders who'll be impacted by the new rules and and not only consulting but then supporting them in transitioning to deal with these new rules. So they're not just leaving, you know, farmers to deal with the fallout of you're now no longer allowed to you know whatever the aspect of the policy is but here's how we negotiate that. Here's how you'll, we'll fund you to purchase the technology, whatever it is, to get through that period. So it's a comprehensive shift from the New South Wales EPA. And it was the first in Australia. This is the first time this has happened. So that one court case is now having you know, repercussions throughout the country as other states are looking at that and saying, okay, this is the gold standard now, and we need to be catching up to that. So. Whether they choose to do that willingly, or they need someone putting a cracker up their ass, as you said, um, you know <laughs> help that's what people want um, and of course, there's now the government looking at a national ePA as well, a federal ePA, so that's fantastic news. so you know we're just a small organization and we run on the smell of a i was going to say a smell of an oily shoestring. We really do uh, yet we were able to um have this sort of impact and bring this sort of change because we we got organized and we didn't stop. We raised our voices, we told our stories that got us noticed, and here we are. We're making change happen.
0: And you have a website, which is?
1: Yep, it's www.bushfiresurvivors.org. If you get onto the website, you can join us. You don't need to have lost your home or you know fought a fire you could be someone who's breathed the smoke over those awful 2019 2020 fire yeah so many people have been impacted by bushfires who don't necessarily picture themselves or call themselves impacted but they were whether by the fear the smoke the heat the the threat the you know the longevity of those fires that went on and on relentlessly that really frightened so many people so yeah we welcome new members. It um, doesn't cost anything to join, but there's also a donate button there so you can donate, which helps us to do the work that we're planning for the next uh, couple of years, including a campaign, a legal campaign against Whitehaven Coal's expansion of the Narrabri coal mine. Hooray!
0: So, I really don't yeah, like that company. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, especially as they're making money hand over fist now as everyone scrambles for the last bits of coal. Yay. Okay. Joe Dodds, thank you very much for talking to Earth Matters. I hope to get you on the show some other later date to see how things are going. And thank you for your efforts put into bushfire survivors for climate action.
1: Thank you so much. I'm hugely grateful for the chance to do this, Rebecca. So, yeah, love to talk again in the future.
0: Okay. Joe Dodds, co-founder of Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action. You've been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced for Radio 3CR in Melbourne in Wurundjeri country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support. And if you'd like to get in touch with Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page on Earth Matters 3CR Radio or follow us on Twitter at Radio. If you'd like to listen to or share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash... Earth Matters. That's all for today's show. Thanks so much for sharing this time with us. The Earth Matters team will be back next week with more environmental and social justice stories. Here's another one of Sophia Fletcher's songs from her recent album, Steps Leading to You. The song is Extinction Is Forever. Catch you later. I'm Beck Horridge.